Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the All Personal Podcast, where we turn the good old saying, nothing personal, just business, upside down, and prove how, in fact, it's all personal and nothing is just business. Here, we feature the stories of people like you and me, who discovered the unique set of skills that took them where they are now, and will take them even further on in their journey. Today's conversation is going to be quite special, both due to the topic and the guest. We are going to talk about selling as a skill, and I have the perfect guest for this discussion. She is Barbara Giamanco, and she is the CEO of Social Centered Selling. She is globally recognized as a leader in sales. She's the co-author of the new handshake, Sales Meets Social Media. She's also a keynote speaker, a sales and social media coach, corporate webcast host to top technology companies, and the host of the popular Conversations with Women in Sales podcast. Barb is consistently a top 25 influential leaders in sales, one of top sales world's top 50 sales and marketing influencers, and recognized by Tenfold as one of the world's top 65 women business influencers, alongside leaders like Ariana Huffington, Sheryl Sandberg, and Melinda Gates. Visit her website at scs-connect.com or follow her blog at barbaragiamanco.com. So, Barb, welcome and thank you for being here today. Well, Roxana, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. And because I was reading your short bio, I have to say that it's um, super impressive and it looks as if you're already a selling superstar. So... How did you get here? How did you start this this journey? Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, it started years ago, Roxana, as a child. And here's why. My dad was in the military and at the time enlisted. And so we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. And so certainly my parents always, you know, provided us with food and clothing and, you know, and all the things that, you know, you need at the same time, if we wanted the fancy jeans, you know, the Levi's or the Izod shirt, well, we had to go out and earn the money to do that. So I learned at an early age that if I wanted more in life, I needed to go out there and get it for myself. And so uh, the salesperson in me, I guess, was born. I had a paper route. I mowed lawns. I babysat. Basically, I earned the extra money I needed to get those next things that I wanted in life. And so ultimately, that led to me uh, professionally some years later getting into inside sales and technology, and the rest is kind of history. Okay. So you basically, would you say that you always had a thing for selling? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, first of all, obviously, it was very enterprising. Yeah. And I really do appreciate that my parents taught us the skill of if you want more, and you need to work for it, right? You can, you can have what you want in life. It just doesn't usually get dropped in your lap, right? Yeah. So I think that was uh, really great for me to learn. And yes, even as a kid, I was not, I had no problem going up to the neighbors, letting them know about the services that I offered and, you know, 
asking if they needed any work done around the house, if they want to get signed up for the paper, uh, if they needed a babysitter, you know, let them know, hey, by the way, recommend me. So I would say from the very beginning, I was a, a natural born seller. Yes. Okay, so um, that for me, um, today's podcast, okay, it is for our audience, but for me, it's especially interesting because um, unlike you, I don't consider myself a natural born seller. So speaking to one is one of those occasions where I'd like to know everything about that skill and how you so you said when you discovered it and how you started to to sell to your neighbors but how would you decompose selling what skills is it made of because we can talk about it as a skill in itself but does it have several skills that come with it yeah i think so first of all you know the way i look at selling Roxana, and I know and I've learned this through the years since I retired from corporate, started my own business about 14 years ago. I've also had a lot of conversations with friends who started their own businesses. And one of the biggest challenges that they struggled with was the idea of needing to sell the product and service. Great at the delivery of it, but needing to go out and sell it uh, was a little bit scary. So I think when you think about selling, first of all, I would like people to sort of banish this idea of the used car salesperson and, you know, some of the Mm -hmm. old biases that exist. I always believed it was about helping people solve problems. So in other words, you know, the parents want to go out on date night. Well, right. But they can't leave the kids alone. So I was helping to solve the problem because I was a very reliable, very trustworthy, uh, you know, very, um, very good at babysitting. Mm -hmm. And you could count on me to keep your kids safe, right? So I think if people start to think about sales as solving problems, and then have the confidence and the belief in yourself, you have a service that is worth telling people about, because you can help them. And even in those instances, Roxana, when I couldn't help people, I always prided myself on having a network of connections where I could refer that business. So, you know, I think the first part of it is you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to be confident in what you're offering. And if you can think about it in terms of looking at how you're helping someone solve a problem, in other words, Mm -hmm. you're doing something to help better their life or their business or whatever it might be. I think that kind of takes that edge off. It's a little less scary. Right. Okay. So you need to make sure that you solve someone's problem. And as especially for service providers, that's crucial because you don't have a, a product that is tangible, yes. right? You are delivering a service. And for that service to have value, it does need to solve a problem. That's true. How do you make sure that you get to the heart of the problem? So how do you understand the problems of those people that you're trying to sell your service to? 
That is a great question because, you know, you do need to be good at asking questions. Mm. And these days, so, you know, yes, I'm a little bit older. So I remember when we did not have the internet and doing some early research on customers or the potential prospects or buyers, you know, you really had to kind of go about it the old fashioned way. You went to the library, you dug around in newspapers, you'd, uh, you know, reach out to people in your network and talk to them personally to try and learn more. Today, we have the internet. So it's not difficult to find out information about companies, Mm -hmm. their challenges, their current business initiatives. Uh, It's not hard to find out information about the actual buying executives themselves. And so that homework can help you start to identify common challenges being faced by companies and the people in them in the various industries. So for example, if I'm, you know, if I'm targeting the technology industry, uh, let's say I'm going after SaaS companies, software as a service, you know, well, I know one of the challenges is that uh, they have sometimes moving subscribers Mm -hmm. from free to paid service. I know know that sometimes those companies have difficulty maintaining, um, you know, the renewal rates. So they constantly are facing, you know, churn in the membership ranks. So once you kind of know about the various industries and some of the common challenges, then you're in a good position to kind of start thinking about the kinds of questions that would help you learn even more about what the buyer needs and wants. And then at that point, you then start to say, oh, right. And, you know, you start to match up your solution or kind of co-create that solution with that buyer. And then I think the, the final piece of it really is then it's not just talking about how you can solve the problem. You really have to be in a position where you understand selling in the process well enough that you move them to the next step because we already know that status quo or no decision is the biggest hindrance to us as uh, as people who are selling things. So you have you have to also you know be able to frame your 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 um, your conversation with a buyer in such a way that it's clear to them the impact of what happens if they take no action. In other words, you've got to motivate them to do something. Right. That makes perfect sense. Uh, What I have so far is you need to be helping them. You need to be helping your client. You need to have a solution to their problem and do your homework. So do some research before you start doing anything before you actually approach them. And I like how you say, co-create the solution with them. Is that a way of actually starting to make them take some action one way or another once they become co-creators to the solution that you propose? Absolutely. Now, I don't know how I learned this or whether it was just natural and instinctual or if it was just because I was thinking about, you know, what it's like for me when I go through the buying process, but somehow I always knew to, to do this. So, if you think about the typical way that a lot of people were taught to sell, they were taught, oh, I've got an appointment with Roxana. Okay, I've got 30 minutes with her. Well, guess what? I'm going to spend that whole time talking about me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a typical sales approach. Uh, Roxana Heights, Barb, social centered selling. Let me tell you about our training and our coaching and our this and our that. You spend all that time talking about what you offer. I have never done it that way. I've always done it the reverse. If I have 30 minutes or I have 15 minutes, it doesn't matter. If I have 30 minutes, 25 minutes is spent 
asking questions, validating some of the research, really getting to understand what's going on with the buyer. And if you do that and you're asking questions, you know, at a certain point, what I started noticing, so let's take, for example, selling training services, or maybe someone's asking me about keynoting at a conference. You know, at a certain point when you're into the conversation and they're, and they're saying, oh yeah, you know, this, that's a problem. Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, pretty soon it's kind of like, well, what would you like to see that keynote look like? Oh, well, it would be kind of cool if you could talk about this or maybe do some, uh, you know, do some audience interaction kind of thing. And before you know it, they're helping you to create the keynote or they're helping you to create the, the, you know, the training program. And all of a sudden they're part of creating this solution. It's not you now pitching them. It's like, ooh, yeah, we could do this. Well, could you also do that for us? And that's when you know that you've got a really great shot at closing the business, right? So the old school way was like, hey, let me give you a pen and sign the contract. Well, in my mind, you know you're closing uh, and, and you've got a good shot at you know securing that, that company or that person as a, as a customer when they're already envisioning you delivering the solution. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It makes perfect sense. Because then the way I like to see it is I bring my story, they have their story, and we kind of create a story together. Yes. Then, because you see the story and you see that it, it can take you somewhere that you haven't thought before, but now it looks great. And I, I really want to go there. So I want to take this journey with you. Well, and I think the other most important thing about being really good in selling, you do have to prep and you do have to ask good questions. And this is where I know you do a lot of work coaching people. You know, I became a certified coach years ago, mostly because I wanted to help deepen my own sort of like being present and listening skills. But you've got to also be present in the moment. And a lot of people selling products and services forget that, right? Their mind is on their agenda. I've got something to sell. And I obviously want that to happen when I'm working with potential customers. It's just that when I'm in the conversation with them, I'm fully present, asking good questions, listening for what they're not talking about that maybe we should be talking about. And I'm really kind of present there, right? And the rest starts to take care of itself. Now, that I sort of knew that early on and then through the years really practiced it because the more I would have conversations with people, they would say things like, wow, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked us that before. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's just kind of basic. Like, how does anybody not ask that question? But that can happen when you're too caught up in what you're trying to sell, quote, unquote, versus really trying to help solve a problem and create a solution that everybody's going to be happy with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And listening to somebody is actually showing them that you care about who they are and what they're saying to you right then. Um, and it, it helps create the connection because you don't, I don't think you only want to sell because you're, you don't want to sell a one-time thing and then you're gone, especially in the service industry. You want to create a relationship, right? You want to have something long-term. So 
if you're only focused on okay i'm gonna sell now and then i don't know i don't care what what's gonna happen um it, it's not gonna work obviously so if you're trying to create a relationship that's how you create it you just listen you listen to people and show them that you care uh, about their problem because how else can you provide the solution mm-hmm Yeah, it's absolutely right. Now, listen, some people would say, Roxana, oh, Barb, but it's different for you. You own your own business. You don't have a manager hanging over you saying it's month end. We got to get to quota, Um, to which I would say, right. And I lived in that world in corporate for almost 20 years. So, you know, it is about understanding that you balance the long and the short term, right? And that's one reason why you want to constantly have a pipeline that has good qualified opportunities because they're going to be at various stages. But if you're running around trying to close everything month to month to month, you're always going to be like a hamster on a wheel. You are not going to be focused on the customer. You're going to be too worried about your quota. And Mm -hmm. that's when people find themselves, you know, feeling desperate or getting into a into trouble. And, you know, with respect to what you just said about relationships, listen, it takes, it doesn't take really, uh, you know, if what, if one of the big challenges we know is that people are stressed because uh, buying cycles are stretched out and it takes longer to close deals. Well, you actually can speed up that cycle when you find ways to give first, to build that relationship first, to make it clear to the buyer that you have done the homework and you do care. And by the way, pretend listening and fake authenticity, buyers can feel that like a minute away from you. Like they, they know if you don't sincerely care. So, you know, I feel like if we're genuine, if we genuinely care about doing no harm, recognize that many of these buyers, especially if, if they're spending a lot of money for your products and services, you know, they're kind of putting their own neck and their own career on the line. And we should be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned the corporate world and long, short-term balance. And I think it's um, also maybe because people fear a lot of uncertainties and a lot of mishaps in the sales process. Um, Did you maybe spot a couple of of fears that people have uh, around the whole selling process? Well... (sighs) You know, first of all, so being in sales or selling a product and service, if you if you work for yourself, um, it can be hard not to take it personally if somebody turns you down or ignores yeah. you or doesn't return the phone call. And what I would say is that if anybody's going to be successful in selling over the long haul, and by the way, we're all sellers. I don't care if you own your business or are in an official sales role or not. You're selling the kids on taking the trash out. You're selling the, you know, teachers yeah. on why your 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 kids should be on the soccer team. You know, everybody's always selling. You're selling new ideas and initiatives inside your company. Um, so we're all selling. But I would say that um, fear of rejection is is a challenge for people because I think they, they take it really personally. And listen, I learned a long, long time ago that, you know, so your your show is all about all personal. Um, nothing is, in, is just business. But the truth of it is in sales, it kind of is just mm-hmm. business. It really is not personal when people either are not interested in your product and service today. Maybe they never will be. That's okay. That's not about you personally. That doesn't 
speak to your character as an individual, uh, you know, maybe they went with a competitor. All right, that's okay. That's still not personal either. It's just that they saw other value in the other solution. Maybe it fit their approach. But I think a lot of people get too caught up in if somebody says no to me or doesn't buy from me, then there's something wrong with me. And that is not true at all. It's it's just not personal. People are, we're all buying products and solutions. Hey, when you decide not to buy, you know, the lawnmower, the bike, the computer, um, is that an indictment against the person who was talking with you, who was selling the product or service? Of course not. It just didn't yeah. end up suiting your need. So, for me, that's the big thing that I see with a lot of people. They they make it too personal. They make it too much about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons that I call it all personal is uh, because of all of those skills that are very much personal and that are quite different from one person to another that we bring to the table every day and that can actually help us dealing with with these situations because yeah you're right we we are selling every day we just don't think about it as such so when we sell ideas or concepts or we just um, try to convince somebody to do something is i don't know convincing my kids to take another uh class of soccer or acting or whatever i we're not used to um thinking about it as selling and we don't treat it as such and i think you know if we looked at it differently and observed the process that we also create and that we go through we would see that actually we're we're doing a lot of that every day and there's bits and pieces that we can use from what we do every day and take them in into that selling process and start to sell our service or product better maybe. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why Daniel Pink's book was so popular to sell as human, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, a lot of people weren't thinking about that way. And of course, he's super popular. So the moment his book came out, all of, all of a sudden people are like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Um, you know, many of us who've been at it for a long time have always said that. Because really, if you stop and think about it, if you if you want that next job, if you want that next promotion, you know, you're selling yourself. You're, you're selling the value of why it would be a good decision to give you a raise or move you into that next role or why that employer should hire you. Um, you know, I, I know moms who sell like the Dickens when they want to try and get their kids a summer intern, right, to build up their resume before college. But boy, you talk to them about a sales job and they're like, whoa, I could never sell. Well, I said, well, excuse me, but you went out and found your, you know, your, your, your daughter, uh, like five internships at five major companies. How is that not selling? It's selling. But because people, Roxana, often have these biases in their mind, they, they don't realize that, that once again, what they were doing is they were looking to help their son or daughter get some business experience and build up that resume as they were going into college. On the flip side, they were helping to solve a problem for a company who might have been looking for uh, younger, less experienced talent who they could help 
you know, develop, but they were also getting a nice benefit in return also, right? Someone to help them do the work. So I think when people can start to put it, put selling in a, in a different kind of context, then all of a sudden they realize, oh yeah, it's not the, the cheesy used car sales guy that we're talking about here. It's we're helping each other <laughs> is really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I'm glad that you, you say that because it's so true. And yeah, now that you, you've said it, it makes perfect sense. But again, it's not the way we're used to thinking about it all the time. True. Um, and I wanted to ask you about cold calls and cold emails and what, what you're <laughs> what, from speaking to people um, who are doing that. So they, everybody seems to hate it. People who make them seem to hate that. People who um, are on the other side of the of the receiver seem to hate it because you know the people who call uh, don't feel comfortable calling, and the people who are being called just think it is a waste of time. So, how do you solve that? It's interesting that you bring that up because I just had was part of a LinkedIn discussion and then that led to another conversation that I started because sometimes when people get very locked into their position and I'm seeing it more online, which is disappointed disappointing they start they start to get rude they start to personally attack like oh my god you 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 believe in social selling so you don't know a thing about cold calling oh yes I do you know, again, I'm a little bit younger than some of your listeners. <laughs> we, I remember, and I'm saying that facetiously, I remember when we did not have the internet. I remember when that was our option. We needed to pick up the phone and call people. Why is it such a problem now? Why do buyers really hate it? Well, first of all, they're so crazy busy, it's ridiculous. Uh, you are a stranger disrupting them generally with your own agenda, with it giving little thought to what's important to them. And I think a lot of bridges have been burned. A lot of salespeople have burned bridges. And to be fair, they were taught that way. They were taught to just pick up the phone and call. And by the way, if you got a warm body on the phone, then just like roll into the pitch. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, buyers had to put up with that because there were no other options. But now there are options. They can easily self-educate about available solutions and things that are out there. So what's the answer? Well, if you talk to my friend, Joanne Black, she would say never cold call because you're calling a stranger whether you warm it up or do research or not, it doesn't really matter. She's a huge proponent, uh, the world's expert, basically, on referral selling. And, you know, referrals are, and introductions are the way to go. And personally, that's the first place I go as well, because the research is really clear that if you get an introduction by somebody trusted and respected, you're, you're going to get a meeting, you know, 50 to 90% of the time. And that is what we're trying to do. And it also creates, you know, instant... Uh, equity, uh, equity in terms of your credibility and all that, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't think it's either or Roxana. I think everybody has to figure out sort of a mashup of what works for them. So I do a combination of securing introductions and referrals every way possible. Right. If I need to make the calls or send the emails, then I spend time thinking about each individual and I personalize and tailor that message. And this is where we get into the great divide. A lot of people start to argue that takes too much time. 
Well, no, it doesn't. If you serve three different industries and you know what the three top challenges in those industries are, you do a little homework on the buyer and you realize that there might be one or two things that are important to them. So instead of getting on the phone and saying, hi, I'm Barb Giamanco with Social Centered Selling. Can you give me a minute of time? I'd like to tell you why I think you want to talk to me and then pitch. You know, you lead with something else. Roxana, I just noticed that you were named one of the top chief revenue officers by, um, you know, Channel Magazine. Congratulations on that. I was curious if you had a minute, I have two questions I'd like to ask you related to these two articles about the emerging role of today's chief marketing officer. Now, I did this as a campaign myself, outreach to 27 chief marketing officers I'd never talked to. I led with that. They had been recognized globally. I mentioned these two articles that I wanted to get their point of view on if they had a few minutes. In 24 hours, 50% of those people booked a meeting with me. Right Within 48, almost the whole group had. What's the difference? I didn't try to sell them something. I genuinely congratulated them. And then two, I was very sincere in wanting to get their opinion. I thought I might write an article. It could be a blog post. But I wanted to get their point of view on this Harvard Business Review article I'd read, plus this article that uh, Adobe on CMO.com had put out. And they had these like two different points of view. Never in any of that did I say, let me tell you about coaching, keynoting, training, whatever. But here's the fascinating thing. In the 30-minute calls, before the end of the call, what was that chief marketing officer doing? Can you guess? They were asking Barb how they could help Barb. <laughs> okay. So, or, hey, Barb, what, what, yeah. oh, you do keynote speaking. Hmm. Let's talk about that. So this is why I have this, this sort of this, this gripe with people who say, oh, that takes too long. Well, what's better making 75 phone calls and nobody responds mm-hmm. or doing outreach to 25 or 30 with a very specific, well thought out, targeted message, something that you give value first and you get you know, an 80% response rate that's positive in your favor and they book a meeting. I'll take my method any, any time. So you can keep hammering the phones and trying to force a script, or you could back off a little bit and focus on the quality of the message and focus on giving something of real value to that buyer first, knowing that as human beings, humans want to reciprocate. You do for them first, yeah. they're going to want to do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. When you offer, when you offer something, especially when you offer your your help and you genuinely offer it, not just tick a box, then yeah, I do believe they will want to reciprocate as well. And you know, and the thing of it is, it has to be genuine because I get emails that say things like this, Roxana. Oh, hi, Barb. I just read your book, The New Handshake. Love it. <laughs> Let me tell you about our stuff. Or, hi, Barb, I love your podcast. They don't tell me which one. They don't tell me which episode. They don't even tell me what they liked. Oh, I love your podcast. It's so great. I subscribed the other day. Um, I was wondering, are you the person that does blah, blah, blah? So then all of a sudden, I know you never listen to the podcast or you never read the book because you start off trying to personalize, yeah. but then you make it very, very clear that 
you didn't read the book, you didn't look at the website, you didn't read the blog, um, you know, you didn't listen to any of the interviews. But, you know, if somebody had come to me and said, you know, Barbara, I really enjoyed your interview with Emily Hyde at Advocate, who is this past week's uh, Women in Sales uh, interview, and several people did reach out to me. You know, I really thought it was cool when Emily was talking about branding isn't bragging. I'm like, bang, they listened. And then there's that credibility. So it's really important when people are doing the outreach, and I'm a firm believer, do the outreach and do it you know, and, and of course, if you're working inside a company, you, your your boss may be on you to make X amount of calls, but that doesn't mean you can't improve the quality of your outbound activity to get stronger sales results, which is a yes to a further sales conversation. That's a good, that's a good point because quality actually can bring quantity. It's not one way or the other. It's basically these days, it's more about the quality that you put in it brings you quantity as well. Otherwise, you're not going to get any results. Yeah. And, you know, and, and fancy technology and phone dialers. So what? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what? So so you've got technology that can automate and make more phone calls for you. What still matters is the message, whether it's when the person picks up the phone or whether you're leaving it in a voicemail. And, you know, this is where a lot of folks are still doing old school. Ooh, somebody's breathing on the other end of the line. I'm like, ooh, I'm so-and-so. You don't know me. Let me tell you about my stuff. And the buyers are like, I don't care. And that's why most of the time they delete the emails and they're not picking up the phone calls because because they're frustrated. They feel like buyers just waste time. But research after research after research report clearly states and buyers have said in the research themselves, whether it's through Gartner, Forrester, um, uh, you know, Salesforce, uh, my good friend Deb Calvert and her co-authors got a new book coming out or it's out now called Start, um, Stop Selling and Start Leading. And they've got a lot of buyer research and the buyer research is really consistent. Stop boring me with the feature dump and bring me something that I can use that's of real value to my business. And, and, and that really isn't the feature set of your product, regardless of how amazing you think it is. That's not really helping the buyer yet. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Actually, one of the um, issues around communication and especially around listening is that everybody is always going to be more interested in telling their own story rather than listening to somebody else's story. So once you give them the opportunity to tell you more about them and their own story, they will be more interested in in that discussion rather than just listening to you and your story and not figuring out where they fit in or if they fit in your story. Um, And you were mentioning listening and questioning and the fact that you actually use questions to open up the discussion, which is a very good point because you basically give them the opportunity to tell you about them and make it about them from the beginning and become interested from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, and I do that in every scenario, Roxana. Let's Mm -hmm. say I'm going to an in-person networking event 
you know, many people will go to the event and they have a goal of handing out as many business cards, right? They're going to make all these contacts. Well, I've always had the opposite goal. I want to have enough of a conversation with three to five people that they ask me for my card. Because when somebody then asks you, you know, you've hooked them and people are like, well, how do you, how do you do that? And I go, well, it's easy. I'm curious. Well, what brought you here? You know, how come you decided to attend this particular event? Or tell me a little bit more about what you're doing in your, in your work today. How, how, you know, any, any, uh, you know, challenges or successes you've had. I'd love to hear about that. Again, you've got to be genuine because if you genuinely do not care and you're just asking questions, hoping you're going to get your shot to pitch, people pick up on that. I mean, human beings are pretty smart um, and they pick up on that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, again, I'm just genuinely, that's another one of my like superpowers, I think, the ability to just connect with people and really be curious about them. Um, it's probably why one of my all-time favorite books, I read it when I was 12. I've read it many times through the years, mm-hmm. uh, but Dale Carnegie's classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then, of course, you know, from Zig Ziglar and other, you know, motivational um, folks who've always talked about the fact that, yeah. uh, you know, even Stephen Covey, right? Um, seven Habits, Seek First to Understand, Then to Be Understood. Like, think about the other person first. It's amazing. And I don't, I do it because I genuinely am interested. Um, I'd like to think everybody was, but if you're you're not naturally, genuinely interested, maybe you're going to have to work on that. You call it one of those dormant skills. You might need to work on that, right? Um, Really practice being, uh, you know, more, more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like more interested and authentic mm-hmm. in terms of, of, of wanting to know about other people. For me, it just comes naturally. Yeah. And it's also, I think, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And I think it also has a lot to do with curiosity and who, who the other person really is and where they come from and how we could connect basically. Um, but I think for, for some people, uh, especially if they are um, what we would call introverts, um, they kind of use that to say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm an introvert. I care about people, but I just, I'm an introvert, so I don't express myself that much. Um, and that's why I don't usually go to networking sessions or I'm not good at networking. I'm not good at selling. That's just not for me because I'm an introvert. So would you say... I don't know. Selling is for extroverts exclusively or how would you respond to that? No, I think that it might require a person who is naturally an introvert to expend a little more energy for those situations where it's needed. Uh, But we, there are all sorts of introverts in selling roles. Now you may find them in, in roles that are more, you know, industries like say, uh, you know, manufacturing or some others, but it's a myth that good salespeople are always the extroverts as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I'm a certified disc product, for years and years, right? So DISC is all about, you know, behavioral and adapting communication and style. You know, quite frankly, introverts are often much better listeners and ask better questions. Um, 
And so I would say if somebody's saying, oh, I can't sell because I'm an introvert, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that they're using that as an excuse. Because, because once again, it isn't so much about whether you're naturally more, I mean, anybody listening can already figure out. I, 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 I talk to anybody anywhere, anytime. I don't care who it is. You know, it could be, it could be, it could be, you know, the janitor, the busboy at the restaurant. I just talk to everybody. Now, an introvert maybe isn't going to, uh, uh, to, to do that necessarily, but to suggest that an introvert can't be great at selling, mm-hmm. I totally disagree. And in fact, in many instances, they probably really are asking better questions and are better uh, listeners. Um, you know, but we all can rally energy to do whatever it is we need to do for a period of time. Maybe you're an introvert who's not going to go into a career in sales, but what about when you need to ask for the promotion or the raise that you deserve, or you have this brilliant idea that you know is really going to be a benefit to the company. It's very innovative. Are you going to tell me you're going to sit on the sidelines whining that you're an introvert and therefore you can't do it? No. Yeah, you're right. And But again, when we think of selling, we just see the actual result of it and we see some price tags and stuff like that. We don't think of selling as in actually selling my services on a constant basis. True. True. And, and, you know, and, 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 and by the way, a lot of extroverts are blowhards. I mean, come on, you know, just because somebody's loud and more extroverted doesn't mean that they've, you know, got the magic answer. That's why, you know, uh, when I was in corporate managing sales teams, one of the things that I was always careful about is I knew who the more extroverted sort of domineering types were and versus the, the quiet, more introverted t- types. And, you know, thankfully, learning about Marston's work and DISC and all of that, I also realized that, you know, I could help the introverts on my team by making sure that they were prepared for the kinds of questions and conversation we would have in the meeting so they could feel prepared to speak up versus having something sprung on them. Uh, I also considered it to be my job if, if you know, the dominant ones, I'd be like, okay, Sherry, we've heard from you enough. Like, sit down for a minute. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, so, you know, I think people have this tendency like, oh, the extroverts are so much better. No, sometimes they're just louder. That doesn't mean they're better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But somehow, yeah, some, some introverts, you know, get themselves intimidated by how loud the extroverts can be. And maybe that's one, one thing to think about that if you prepare and when you prepare, there's actually a lot that you will be able to say and contribute and that just get can get better uh with with practice so it's not like you cannot do it at all or you can never do it true well and listen it's okay too if you feel uncomfortable trying to push mm. back and and against somebody in an in an open meeting but there is nothing to stop you from going to your manager after the fact. There is nothing to stop you from, um, you know, bringing it up to others outside the meeting. And, and then, you know, for any manager listening, I would just say, you know, as a manager, it really is your job to ensure that you are soliciting the input of all members of the team. Because if you don't do that, you really miss um, you risk missing out on, uh, you know, some great ideas and some great opportunities. Now, a lot of introverts, to be fair, probably don't necessarily consciously choose to go into a career mm-hmm. selling. 
but I know many people who've gone into it thinking, I'll just, you know, I'll do it for a while. And they found out, wow, I really love this because so much of selling is not so much a team sport. If you stop and think about it, yes, it's true. In bigger, uh, more complex deals, you're dealing with, you know, seven or eight different influencers in an organization. But back to your comment very early on about building relationships, guess what? You're building those relationships one-to-one. It's not like you're always standing in front of a room of a thousand people having to pitch Mm -hmm. them. See, so I think it's for for anybody who's introverted, uh, once again, it's kind of shifting your frame of reference and realizing that maybe selling isn't quite what you thought it was. Because I know a lot of extroverts who are happily led out of the buyer's office quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Because they're they're too ego driven and they're making too many assumptions and they're really not bonding with the buyer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it it's true, it takes practice, but if you look at it this way, then it's not that scary anymore. And you might really discover some of those because you mentioned the dormant skills muscles. You may discover that they're actually good and they're if they're awake. Now they can help you even more in in the process, so it's not it's not necessarily something that you have to be afraid of doing like permanently. It can help you conquer that fear. Exactly. By the way, is there any skill that you in in your career so far developed from being rather dormant? So you basically knew it was there, but wasn't you weren't using it very much, and you took it and developed it. And is it's now one of your strong skills muscles, maybe? Um, no. Mm. So I'll tell you about a couple of uh, places, one in particular, where I just really suck at it. I am just not naturally good at uh, accounting. I am also sometimes not naturally good at, you know, operational mm-hmm. process and execution. Now, on the execution side of things, because one of my core strengths is creative thinking and strategy, and I can also see all the steps that sort of like need to help make that strategy happen. But for a while there, I used to spin my wheels on a lot of big ideas and I didn't execute. And I've worked really hard on that. And so I would say, I guess that is the one thing I'm much, much, much better about taking certain ideas and really moving them into actionable sort of, you know, execution. Um, On the accounting side, I'm better. But Mm -hmm. Roxana, I suck at it. And I always will. You do not want me. And the irony before I got into tech sales is that I was actually working in an accounting office. But the funny story is that it was serendipitous because I was working for the controller on special projects and then the company bought an IBM 3270 mainframe. And uh, that's when I fell in love with computing. Coincidentally, I was running the reports for salespeople and I found out what kind of commission they could make. And it was like, hmm, that opened my eyes to some things. Uh, but I would say the accounting side of it, it's a skill that I've gotten much, much better at. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, I pay attention to my QuickBooks and all of that because I learned a long time ago that you can't just say, oh, I'm not good at that. Let's let go of that because people get ripped off. I needed to know enough about accounting and bookkeeping so that I could ask the right questions because I do have a company that helps me with that. I could ask the right questions and I could watch for the things that I knew could be problems where it might signal 
somebody maybe not having my best interests at heart, but kind of like the introvert, can I do that mm-hmm. for long periods of time? Oh, heck no. Yeah. But does it help? <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, it, well, I decided a long time ago that it was probably not a good idea to just say, I'm not good at it. So I'm going to mm-hmm. ignore it. Because again, I have a friend who is, who this is her business and she counsels other companies on this. You know, once I heard a few stories from Ruth about how people were having their money stolen out of their bank account, because right, they'd offloaded this. So I'm not good in accounting and bookkeeping. So I'm going to let somebody else handle and I'm just going to go my merry way. No, you can't do it. It's your business. You need to be sure you're not getting ripped off. So I think I accepted that I was never going to be a CPA, nor did I want to be. But I also knew that I couldn't use that as an excuse and then possibly get into bigger problems down the road. So I learned enough. And actually, that made me feel pretty proud. I know today where I am versus where I was, say, seven or eight years ago. And I'm pretty proud of myself for saying, I'm going to get to a specific level. I'm not going to let this be an excuse. And it has been good for me. I've made better money decisions when I'm thinking about the things I'm going to buy for the business. So making a decision to say, maybe I'm never going to be a CPA, but I can improve the skill set and I'm going to. And I have, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. And would you say that it also supported your your strong skills muscles in, in, in this journey, right? Because you took some muscles that just weren't there and started to build them up to a certain point, obviously. Um, but then they also supported your, your strengths in the process. And that, that's always helpful, would you say? Yeah, I think so. And, and listen, I made a lot of stupid mistakes and that's what I I made bad buying decisions. I spent money I shouldn't have uh, because I wasn't paying attention to some of the reporting. I got myself in trouble a couple of times and I was able to, you know, make up the revenue by getting out there and hustling and selling more. But then one day I just said, that's just silly. Why, why are you doing that? If you're going to, if you're going to run a business, then you have to work on that. And I did, but I got to be honest, it took a series of mistakes because I was just, I had my head buried in the sand. And then one day I just said to myself, you know, this is not acceptable. You're making bad decisions money wise, you're wasting money. Uh, and, and that's not good. So Barb, we're going to fix it. Yeah. And so, you know, I've spent a fair amount of time, uh, you know, once again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a stockbroker. Uh, you know, yeah. but, but, but now I know that when other people are, are running the books or when I need to go in and meet with the tax folks once a quarter, or once a year, I know the right questions to ask. I know what certain things on the, the documents mean. And these are all things that I ignored before behind this guise of, oh, well, I'm just not naturally good at that. And I just decided that mm-hmm. that was an excuse that was getting in my way. And I made a decision to change it. Yeah, it kind of when we say that we're not good at that, and I'm not gonna do it. Basically, you know, refusing a, an opportunity to learn more about something that we have no idea about, and it's it's something that, especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's something that you really need. It's 
this kind of information can be crucial for the business. It's like the entrepreneur saying, I'm not good at sales, so I'm not going to sell. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck with that because you're going to be out of business. Exactly. So, and then, and then same kind of thing, you know, in my case, Fortunately, I'm good at selling. So I was able to dig myself out of a couple of holes. But then finally, one day I said to myself, that's not pleasant. Mm -hmm. Stop doing that. So, you know, but it's been good because it, 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 uh, it just gave me more um, exposure to myself. Because, you know, Roxana, when I was in corporate, there were people who were paid a lot of money to run the spreadsheets for us and bring data to us. And I could look at the data and go, Ooh, this is interesting about these territories, yeah. but I didn't have to create all that. I didn't have to get into the nitty gritty. And when I got into my own business, I started realizing, Ooh, yeah, this I could see I'm not good at. And as I said, I'm, I'm being completely honest. The first number of years, you know, I just kept burying my head in the sand until I made enough mistakes. And I just said, okay, that's just dumb. Stop doing that. <laughs> Yeah. And because you also mentioned that this was, you know, one of the things that you were proud of, that you kind of cultivated this and used this in your own business, the, the accounting information, even though you were not going to be a CPA. Um, I wanted to ask you if there is anything in particular that you are most proud of up until now. I think probably the thing I'm most proud about myself is that Whenever I make a mistake, I, I use it as a learning opportunity. I always look first in the mirror and say, why did I need to attract that situation and what did I need to learn? So I think my willingness to always be learning and to keep my brain sharp and fresh and always thinking about you know what's coming and what's happening, coupled with the fact that when things don't go quite the way I hoped... I believe that I created that situation for a reason and I use it as an opportunity to learn and to grow. And so I'm pretty proud of my ability to, to be self-aware and self-assess and then go on. Um, in the early days of my life, I probably used to just beat myself up for not being perfect and felt guilty or blamed other people. And, you know, and I, and I just, I, a long time ago, I started saying, no, that's no. It's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. So I do believe that we attract situations for our own learning and development and growth personally. And so I'm kind of proud of the fact that I'm always willing to look at myself first and say, okay, that's awesome. You did well with that, but uh, this didn't go so well. So what can you learn from that? What what was going on there? Yeah. Take it as an opportunity to, to take the next the next step. And is there anything in particular that you say to yourself to keep motivated, even in, in times of, I don't know, not dark, but, you know, difficult? Well, the first thing always is this too shall pass. <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> every, every, every second, um, I happen to uh, catch part of a rerun of Vanilla Sky. It's a movie from years ago, a Tom Cruise flick. And I do remember... Cameron Diaz's character at one point saying something like, you know, every passing second is another opportunity to turn it all around. So, you know, whenever something kind of goes wrong, I just say, yeah, this will be over and done with shortly. It's, you know, it, it's not going to last uh, forever. And then when I really need motivation, that's easy. I just, I plug in the headphones and I listen to uh, Prince's Baby, I'm a Star. And that does it every time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to put that in the description because I think, you know, it might inspire some other people as well. 
Oh, if it, people, it, you know, it's from the uh, from uh, 1999. But if people don't know it, go look up Prince. Baby, I'm a star. I'm telling you that that actually was the song that I listened to every single morning before I walked out the door to go to work. Because it just fired me up and it just reminded me that I'm a star. And every one of us walking on this planet, we're all stars. We just forget that sometimes. Yeah, we do. We get, you know, caught up in the, uh, in the midst of having to do everything so perfectly um, and in blaming ourselves when we don't. So, yeah, I guess that's a good reminder. Because we're close to the um, end of our conversation, I wanted to ask you, you already mentioned some the, the music that you keep yourself motivated with, some of the books that uh, have inspired you, but anything that you would like to mention now in the end of our talk, um, a quote or a video, a movie, a book, uh, something that inspired you and that you would like to pass on to our audience? Sure. I'll share my favorite all-time quote, and there are a lot of, you know, great quotes out there, of course, but my favorite of all time is from Henry Ford, and he said, whether you say you can or you can't, you're right. It's all in your mind. It really is. If you say you can't do it, guess what? You'll find a way not to do it. You'll create your own. I believe he was saying we create our own self-fulfilling prophecies. You say you can do it, by gosh, you may not know how, but you'll find a way. You say you can't, you've stalled yourself out before you ever start. That's been a, a, my favorite quote since I was a kid. And all these years, I still feel like it fits. Yeah, it totally does. Thank you for sharing that with, with us, Barb. My pleasure. Thank you for being here today. And again, I'm sorry we have to end it. We could talk about it, I think, for days. But <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you bring an extrovert on your podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so true. Okay, thank you again for being here, Barb. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in again. To me, this talk was such a great lesson on what good selling is and also on what it isn't anymore. And it also got me thinking that, well, we are all natural born something, be it sellers, presenters, speakers, singers, which is what makes us great at it. And then, even if we don't have that natural born ability, we can still become good at it. Maybe not great, maybe not perfect, and hey, nobody's perfect, but still good. Because you don't have to be a professional dancer to be able to dance at your own wedding, right? So, I'll leave you with a question. What is your natural born skill? My guess is, you will need to take it all personal to answer this one. Till next time.